the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. And it was this very thing that so amazed Paul, so disturbed and angered him, that so many in the various churches of Galatia, people that he had had just a few years earlier had introduced to Christ, had bought into this heresy and had begun to reject the teaching of salvation by faith alone for a teaching of salvation by faith plus works, which really means works. Yes, the Apostle Paul was really disturbed that so many of the new believers in the churches in Galatia had bought into the heresy that was being preached there that it was necessary to do something more beyond believing in Jesus in order to be a Christian. That's why Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians. And that's the book we are studying on Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In today's lesson, Pastor Steve begins with a quick review of the reasons for writing the epistle. So if you have your Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 1 and we'll get right to it. Here's Pastor Steve. I invite you to open your Bibles once again to... Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. And I want to read to you the first five verses. We began this last week. And we continue it this week. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever, evermore. Amen. This morning, we continue our study of what we began last week, Paul's introduction to the Galatians. This is the first five verses are his opening verses, they are his introductory comments. As we noted last week, Paul, Paul's introduction to the Galatians is unique, it's distinct, it's not like any other letter that we find in the New Testament. As you read Paul's other letters, you, you can sense a warm tone about them. He commends the other churches. He says something positive about them. He thanks God for them. He prays or praises them. Some admirable quality he sees in them. But with the Galatians, Paul has no commendation. There is no praise. There's no giving of thanks for them. Instead, his opening lines to them are abrupt. They're concise. They're even argumentative as he defends himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And the reason that Paul's introductory comments to the Galatians are like this is because, frankly, Paul's angry with them. He's upset. He's disturbed. Why? Because these folks had begun departing from the gospel message, the message of salvation by grace through faith. Faith alone. That's the message that Paul had preached to them just a few years earlier as he led them 
to Christ, established churches in the Galatian region. But now they were departing from that message for a message of salvation by faith plus works, which is really salvation by works. False teachers had come into that church and were beguiling them. And they were leaving the gospel. Notice what he says in chapter 1, verse 6. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. You're deserting Christ himself. In chapter 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Who's turned you away from this message? Now, I want to know who turn, who's begun to turn them away. In Acts chapter 15, the beginning of Acts 15, we're given a similar scenario of what was taking place in Galatia. It's a different city, it's a different scenario, but it's the same situation. I'd like you to turn there. Acts chapter 15 will give you some insight as to what exactly Paul was talking about and what was going on in the Galatian churches. Now, the situation in Acts 15 is in another place, it's a city called Antioch, but it's the same type of situation. It's the same kind of men who were misleading the Galatians. Acts 15, starting in verse 1. Some men came down from Judea. They came down from Judea in Israel, probably Jerusalem, came down to Antioch, and they began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, they were saying that you as Gentiles have to become Jews first to become Christians. You are initiated into Jewish culture, being a Jew by circumcision, and then you have to keep all the laws of Moses. You have to live like a Jew, and plus believe in Jesus if you want to be saved. That's what they were saying. Verse 2 says, when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren, this is the brethren of the church at Antioch, brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. They said, look, go to the apostles, let them settle this. Paul is preaching grace, faith alone. These men are preaching works. Let them go to the apostles in Jerusalem. Who are these men? Who are these men who taught that circumcision was necessary for salvation. Well, let's read on. Verses 4 and 5. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. That is, Paul and Barnabas came to Jerusalem. They said, this is what God is doing amongst the Gentiles. They reported it. Verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, It's necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Now we know who these men were. These men were Pharisees, Pharisees, members of the sect of Jewish religious leaders who had been so hostile to Jesus during his earthly ministry. And they had violently opposed him as a violator of the Mosaic law. They said he's a Sabbath breaker. He doesn't keep the law. But now we read some of these Pharisees had believed. I believe, what, what, what does that mean? It means they've changed their tune, at least about Jesus. They had come to believe, at least intellectually, that Jesus was the Messiah. But what they hadn't changed was their view of salvation. They weren't really saved. 
They just were persuaded mentally that Christ was indeed the promised one. But what hadn't changed was their understanding of the Mosaic law, that that was necessary to keep to be saved. They still believed, and they were quite adamant, that religious performance of keeping all the Old Testament laws were necessary for salvation. And so these men took it upon themselves to travel all around the Roman Empire to predominantly Gentile churches that were springing up in distant cities and tell them that they had to be circumcised first if they wanted to become Christians. They had to be Jewish before they could have a relationship with the God of Israel. And it was this very thing that so amazed Paul, so disturbed and angered him, that so many in the various churches of Galatia, people that he had had just a few years earlier had introduced to Christ, had bought into this heresy and had begun to reject the teaching of salvation by faith alone for a teaching of salvation by faith plus works, which really means works. Really means works. Now, folks, what makes this letter to the Galatians such a particularly relevant letter for us, and so important for us today, is that the old Galatian heresy of the first century, it's still around. It hasn't died out. It's alive and kicking and haunting and threatening God's people today. So I told you last week, not only are there many mainline Protestant denominations that teach salvation by some form of of works, but also the Roman Catholic Church has corrupted the gospel of grace for all of its history by denying that justification is by faith alone. And don't take my word for it. I want to quote to you from Canon 9 of the Council of Trent. It's a Catholic council. I quote, If anyone saith that by faith alone, the impious, that means sinners, the impious is justified, as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtaining the grace of justification, let him be anathema. means excommunicated. The official view of Vatican is that if you and I say that salvation, that justification by faith alone is what saves one, they say, put him out of the church. Anathema, accursed. It's their own words. So instead of circumcision, they teach that baptism and the other sacraments are necessary for salvation. As we noted last week, in recent years, some within messianic Jewish circles have embraced the old Galatian heresy by teaching their followers that in addition to believing that Jesus is the Messiah, they must also observe all the laws of Moses as a divine requirement for salvation. Now, in all fairness, not all within messianic circles teach that, but some do, a lot do. Now, regardless of the various flavors that these errors come in, they're all an attack on the doctrine of grace. And note this, they are an attack on the sufficiency of Christ's atonement to save a sinner. Because if you add anything, anything at all, to Christ's death and you nullify his death, you make it ineffective, which is precisely Paul's point in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, when he said, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. What he's saying is that if there's anything, anything we can do, to earn our salvation, then Christ died needlessly. There is no reason for Jesus to die. The danger, you see, of all of this is that this kind of teaching poses a real threat to 
people in evangelical churches like ours who claim to believe in Jesus for salvation, but some who can be so easily misled into thinking that these other groups have something religiously attractive to offer. Listen, cults today are filled with people who once were part of Bible-teaching evangelical churches. What they really have to offer is not something religiously attractive at all, certainly not the truth. What they have to offer is a perversion of the truth about salvation because they only lead people away from Jesus Christ and the simplicity of the gospel into some complicated religious system that tries to make people feel good about themselves, tries to raise their self-esteem by basing their salvation on their own human efforts rather than on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Notice this is exactly what Paul claimed was happening to the Galatians. Verse 6, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. I'm amazed that you're deserting Christ himself for some other message. This was at the heart of what was disturbing Paul so much as he picked up his pen to write the Galatians. See, in spite of the fact that these false teachers had attacked Paul's character and called him a fraudulent apostle, Paul really wasn't personally offended. If you know anything about Paul, he wasn't offended about attacks against himself. There were times such as here um, in 2 Corinthians where he defended his apostleship, but only to defend the message of the gospel. Paul rarely spoke about himself, but when he did, as he does here, uh, he, he only does it to defend the integrity of the message he preached. You see, Galatians is really the, the heart cry of a man who loves these people. He's not, he's not positioning himself to boast that he's an apostle. He just loves these people. He's their spiritual father. He longs for them to grow in Christ. He's heartbroken of what's going on. And that's what this is about. He says in chapter 4, verse 19, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Paul had spiritual birth pains for these people. He hurt for them. That's why his opening words in this letter are so significant. And that's why we're spending two weeks introducing the letter. Normally, I only spend uh, one Sunday, but the first five verses of Galatians are packed jam with, with truth that we cannot just dismiss easily because what, what is taking place in the first five verses is this. They contain in seed form three key truths that Paul will later develop in this letter. This is not your normal introduction. This is filled with theological truth that he will later explain and clarify and develop. These truths are essential to an understanding of the message of this letter. So let me give you the big picture of the introduction, the first five verses. Here's the big picture. First of all, as you know, if you were here last week, Paul starts off by defending his ministry as an apostle because the false teachers had told the Galatians he wasn't a real apostle. He's not like the 12 in Jerusalem. He's a Johnny come lately. He's just an itinerant preacher who has some knowledge of of the gospel of Christ, but he's not preaching the same thing as the guys in Jerusalem. And so Paul defends himself as an apostle. Next, he moves on to defining the message that he preached. He mentions that the heart of the gospel is grace and it leads to peace. And then, then he explains the meaning of Christ's death. Finally, in verse five, he ends his introductory comments by declaring his motive for preaching the gospel, which was also apparently under attack by these false teachers who said that he was a man pleaser. That's why he gave the Gentiles what they wanted to hear. 
not law. They wanted to hear grace. So he gave them that. Paul denies that. Now, last week, we only had time to look at the first of these three key truths as we saw Paul defending his ministry as an apostle. Let me very quickly remind you of what these verses are about. Notice verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, in In these two verses, Paul very clearly states that his apostleship had absolutely nothing to do with any human source. No church committee made him an apostle. No group of men laid hands on him and said, now you're an apostle. That's what he meant when he said, not sent for men. Had nothing to do with any man. Secondly, he says, no individual had informed him that God had made him an apostle. That's what he means. He's not through the agency of man. Nobody came and told him, by the way, Paul, God told me you're an apostle. He said it wasn't the way. It happened. He wants the Galatians to understand that his call to being an apostle came directly from God the Father through Jesus Christ. And what he's talking about is this. Had no human involvement at all. Took place while he was on the road to Damascus. The Lord Jesus revealed himself to Paul at the same time that he revealed himself to Paul and Paul was converted, he also revealed that he is a choice servant, an apostle, who will be sent to the Gentiles. He was commissioned by the Lord himself, Acts 26, to be an apostle. And as Paul will later develop in chapter 2, because of this divine calling, he was just as much an apostle as any of the other 12. In fact, if you look at chapter 2, starting in verse 7, we read this. This is important to understand. Now, we're jumping ahead, but only to give some weight to Paul's argument. Chapter 2, verse 7, he speaks about going up to Jerusalem, meeting and speaking to the other apostles. He said, but on the contrary... Seeing that I have been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, meaning Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. He simply means Peter was called to give the gospel to Jewish people. I was called to give the gospel to Gentile people. Notice this, verse 9. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, Cephas is another name for Peter, and John, who reported to be pillars, meaning pillars, leaders in the church, gave to me and Barnabas, note this, the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. What, what he's saying is this, the other apostles recognized that I was one of them, that I'm a legitimate apostle. And so they gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship just recognizing we had different ministries, but the same message. See, as we said earlier, Paul was forced into defending his apostleship because these false Judaizers had attacked it, said he had no apostolic authority. And Paul understands that if they can persuade the Galatians that he has no apostolic authority, then his message of salvation by grace has no authority either, no credibility. And so that's why in this opening Two verses, Paul hammers home and defends his ministry as an apostle. He affirmed that what he was preaching to the Gentiles was the same thing that Peter and the other apostles were preaching to the Jews. So what was the message? What was he preaching? What did Paul receive from Jesus Christ by revelation that he was proclaiming to others as the Lord's inspired ambassador? Well, that's the second key truth that Paul brings up 
in his introduction as he moves from defending his ministry as an apostle. Now, this is new grounds for us, defining his message of salvation by faith alone. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, although it's true that in this letter, Paul doesn't offer any praise to them, no commendation, no thanksgiving. These words, though, are positive in the sense that they, they are Paul's wish for these folks. When he wishes them grace and peace, he's indicating here in verse 3 that he hadn't given up on them. He still apparently thinks the best of them, considers them true believers who've just temporarily taken a, a detour. Otherwise, he would never have given them this greeting, which is reserved for believers in Christ, the only ones who have ever experienced and will ever experience God's grace and peace. See, to pronounce grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is tantamount to telling them that they have already received salvation because grace and peace are two words that are related to the gospel, strictly to the gospel. What does grace mean? Grace speaks of God's kindness in freely bestowing forgiveness of sins upon sinners who turn to him for deliverance. That's why Ephesians 2, 8, 9 say this, for by grace are you saved through faith. Paul means faith alone. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God and not of works, lest anyone should boast. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And peace, what is peace? Peace is the result of receiving salvation. Paul said in Romans 5.1, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. The war is over also indicates that there's peace in our hearts because our souls are secure in Christ. Peace here is the Jewish equivalent of the word shalom, peace, well-being to you. Now, this greeting of grace and peace is not unique to Galatians. Paul, frankly, if you look at all of his letters that he wrote to various churches, he says the same thing, grace to you and, and peace. But here in Galatians, the words grace and peace stand out. You know why? They're quite striking, Because grace and peace in Christ were precisely what these people were turning away from. Turning to another gospel. So it may very well be that Paul speaks here of grace and and peace as a way of immediately attacking the law-keeping system of these Judaizers and warning the Galatians right off the bat of the dangers of following this false system. See, to accept a system of salvation by law-keeping or personal performance is to reject God's grace in Christ completely. There's no neutral ground. You cannot have salvation by grace and law together at the same time. They are mutually exclusive. You either have one or the other. Paul said in Romans 11:6, speaking of salvation, but if it is of or by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. You can't add performance to grace or you no longer have grace. And those who try to gain a right standing before God by law keeping, by human effort, have absolutely no peace. They have certainly not at peace with God, but they have no peace in their souls either because they can never know if they've done enough good works to be right with God. How would you ever know? How could you possibly know? So you never have peace. However, grace and peace are what every true believer in Christ possesses. And the reason for this is because of Christ's work on the cross. And that is precisely 
why Paul proceeds in verse 4 to explain for us the significance of Christ's death. Who gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. In this one verse, we have one of the most meaningful statements in all the Bible. Because in just a few words, Paul explains the, the importance of the death of Christ. And the reason that Paul mentions Christ's death here is because he's spelling out to the Galatians the heart of the gospel that he had previously preached to them and what they were in danger now of rejecting for a false gospel of salvation by law. Grace and peace kind of go together, don't they? In fact, I often close my emails with those words rather than the more generic, sincerely. It is by God's grace, through faith in the sacrifice of Christ, that we can have peace with God. We can add nothing to it by any ritual or good works. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our Bible teacher, and he's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to go back to attend the previous classes in this series, or to go over today's lesson a second time, you can go online to versebyverseradio.org and click on the Message Archive tab. You can listen to it there or download it to your computer. If you have any questions about the message or would just like to have someone pray with you, please call us at 727-239-0306. We'd love to hear from you. 727-239-0306. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.